imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. Protonic reversal with your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rotten about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with sharp and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It means something. You know, that's my take on it. Like, what's yours? Protonic Riversall! That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed it is. It is a science thing. It's a science place. It's a scientific fact that we're all up in your face. It is time once again for the one, the only... Protonic Reversal! Welcome to it, welcome to it. Additionally, welcome to it. On tonight's very special episode. Uh, Mr. Lenny K. What an amazing guy. Uh, incredible guitar player. Patty Smith Band. If you know Nuggets, you owe it to this guy. Fantastic author. Rock on tour. Rock on tour. Accent on the rock. And uh, generally just an all-around awesome individual. Uh, Lenny K., welcome to the show, sir. Well, glad to be here, Conan. I really, uh, I can't wait to get protonic. <laughs> I, I think this last book that you put out is, is, is so great and so interesting because I think there's a lot of media about um, inflection points. I'm thinking about like the, uh, it's called something like the six drinks that, that shape the world or something. And it talks about like coffee and beer and, you know, <laughs> beer, all, especially. beer, especially yeah, tea, uh, so on and so on. But I, this movie's uh, this movie, this book is so cool because it's rock and roll. And anyone that's a fan of this show is probably, I dare say, a fan of the rock and roll. And I think it's really Amen. cool how you managed to pull this off, that it's it's 10 different transformative moments. So that when things changed, right? And I think that that's, that's so, like what gave you the idea for this? Were you just thinking about awesome moments in rock and roll basically? Or like what, what gave you the idea? Well, you know, when you look over the landscape, of what the music has been. And, you know, I wanted to write a history of rock and roll, but it's so broad and goes in so many directions. But I thought, well, exactly where are the highlights? Where are those times when things turned, when a locus of energy changed the shape of the music? And uh, I've always been into the local. I, I love hanging out, you know, in the local bars and, the you know, local music clubs. I think that's the grassroots of where it all happens. And so it was very interesting to me to see how these scenes develop, how they get their major characters there, and the whole concept of what a scene is, which is not just the performers on stage, but the audience, the, uh, the social moment in time, and uh, what they're reacting against and what they're inspirationally putting together from there. It's, it, it was a good way to tell the story of this music, which has given me so much inspiration over my lifetime. 
Well, it seems like you're the right dude to do it too, because I mean, you've, <laughs> yeah. you've lived it, right? Yeah. And you, I lived it, <laughs> and I'm still here to live it, which is great. You're still here to tell the tale, which is uh, which Amen. is fantastic. Uh, but I think that it's it's really cool that you know it's not it's not like all like anecdotal necessarily. Uh, it, it's it's kind of you you get a certain I think when you're around and when you're a lifer in the way that uh, some people are lifers yeah, for yeah. music, you you get a, a longer perspective on things you're able to look at things and see see trends and, and recognize as you have in the book many times this is where things change this is where yeah. you know like it, you, this happened and things were never quite the same afterwards yeah. uh and it occurs to me also like you know to, to be like a, a participant in some of that too must have felt interesting because i mean do you realize at the time like oh everything has now changed or well, is it you know, something as, you, as a like, fan, you realize it when all of a sudden you get attracted to a different a different thing that's happening. Right. Uh, for me, of course, you know, to watch it from afar, as I did say in Liverpool when I'm a kid and I'm hearing about the Beatles for the first time or San Francisco when as a proto hippie, I wanted to see what that whole <laughs> ballroom scene and this improvisation based on psychedelics was about. But really, when I stood outside CBGB somewhere in 1975 and realized I'm participating right. in one of those scenes, in one of those transformative moments, it was quite a thrill because you don't realize it at the time. For me, it's just hanging out in your local bar, you know, hanging, you know, sometimes on the sidewalk when the band is inside, participating in the social seniors of it. And, uh, you know, it, it was amazing to actually realize that this is happening and it's changing the face of the music and going around the world. Yeah. I mean, you always, to, if you're a good friend, you always want to, you know, support your friends and, and you know, totally. make them understand that they're, that they're doing something that's, that's <laughs> worthwhile. But then it also is like, Oh, you're not only doing something worthwhile. Like this is having global ramifications and, and ripple effects. It's kind of, kind of nuts. And to realize that you're the stone in the rip in the ripple effect, sure, uh, you know that's tossing. And it, it it was kind of because you don't think about it at the time. I mean, I go, I've been around the world, and people always come up to me kind of wide eyed and say, "What was it like at CBGB?" And I can tell they're always a little disappointed when I say it's just another night hanging out at your local, you know, right. getting a beer, <laughs> right. seeing what cute girl is at the other end of the bar. And, uh, you know, there's a band on stage and they're doing something different and you're doing something different. And all of a sudden it catches fire. And that's a great moment in time. And each of the scenes I chose, whether it's Memphis in 54, where Elvis, the mutation, comes into Sam Phillips studio or Liverpool in 62 with the Beatles or, you know, all the way to Seattle when another type of music is changed and goes, you know, suddenly becomes where it's at. And I, you know, we all like to be where it's at. Sure. Absolutely. And some people devote their entire life to it, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> try to travel to find it. And there are a lot of places, you know, I, uh, I couldn't get to, I, couldn't get to Milwaukee, you know, I'm sure I know that there was a great, you know, scene there. Um, you know, I couldn't get to uh, the Bronx where Cool Herc helped invent hip hop. Yeah, uh, I, I couldn't get to Kingston, Jamaica, which, of course, is the kind of scene that I always I love that scene. But, you know, this is my kind of want to go on tour. Come on tour with me. Here's here's our 10 stopovers. Yeah, 10's and, good. Uh, That's a solid number. 
That's a, and you know, there used to be 12, but once I realized that this book was taking me three times as long as it was supposed to, <laughs> I realized, and it was getting really long and you want to do justice to each moment in time. So I kind of, I kind of said, well, what are the most important? And this, this to me tells the landscape and the timescape of, of rock and roll as it developed and became itself in successive generations. Well, and it's so, it's so wild to think about that, you know, one of the, one of your moments is, you know, San Francisco in 67, right. Versus New York in 75. And like, ultimately that's not that long of an epoch of time at all. No, every five years, I think the channel changes. And uh, usually in the first couple years is where it really develops. And after that second or third year, it becomes its own cliche. And a lot of, you know, it's like, oh, punk, you know, but then everything sounds predictable. I like it just like in the Nuggets album. I really like when things haven't figured themselves out yet with those couple of years where they're just kind of exploring this and experimenting here and going up blind alleys. And that's that's when it happens, when it gets its its reputation. A lot of great records come out of that, but it's still it's getting to be time for the change. And that's, you know, what what we all are on the lookout for. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you brought Nuggets up because it's the kind of thing where with that, sometimes some of that stuff hit or inspired. And sometimes it just was kind of an interesting sort of cultural, you know, not dead in necessarily, but it didn't necessarily uh, spawn a movement either. But it doesn't make it not worthwhile at all. I mean, I mean, a lot of, you know, I, I find these times when it's a gray area, when it hasn't defined itself. I'm not into definitions, you know, because I think definitions define limit. And uh, I I, I like, you know, I mean, I didn't know what garage rock was when I was doing Nuggets. I mean, I'm putting together records from like three or four years before that. I I was just looking for cool records that in the hindsight of, amazingly enough, 50 years, (laughs) that that actually they they hung together more than they seemed to at the time. And if I would have had the concept of garage rock in my head, which I didn't, I know I would have screwed it up because then I would have been very <laughs> self-conscious. And oh my God, this is not, is this garage rock? Is that garage? I don't know. So I just put a bunch of records together and they had a sensibility in the same way that the early CBGB bands had a sensibility. It wasn't, it was maybe punk in, 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 in it's abstract, but it hadn't become punk the way the Ramones were punk or musical social punk. Yeah. You know, it it hadn't hardened. And I like it when things are kind of weird and blurry. Well, yeah, I mean, on that on, you know, that's that scene is famous for that, that that it was, you know, talking heads, sharing space with the, you know, Blondie, sharing space with television, sharing space with Ramones. Like it's all of it. And what's the correlating factor? Oh, they're all doing something interesting. Cool. And I think Tom Verlaine once said that each CBGB band was like a separate idea. Yeah. And I kind of like that. You know, they all had a different way in which they could figure themselves out. And, uh, you know, and then then when it became a hard style, kind of based on what the Ramones were doing, uh, you know, again, incredible records, a a movement has developed, but you but you knew what the next record was going to be like. Exactly. There was a certain predictability to it. But yeah. then I like that you covered the London 77 scene too. 
because well, you know, that that it's certainly trenchant. Right, yeah, and and it it kind of is like one could look at that as sort of the after effect of the New York seventy five, but it's sort of like everything happened on what then we could consider an accelerated timeline. I mean, nowadays it'd be like a week and a half, right? But exactly <laughs> made easier by by the internet because yes. you know a lot. I mean, I had a I had to drive to San Francisco in a, in a 56 Ford with my buddy Larry high on whatever we could gather across the country to see these bands in person, to see the Grateful Dead, to see Janis Joplin. I couldn't, you know, whisk across a computer keyboard and, and see what it was like. Right. I had to go there to experience it. And I think that sometimes that timeline of something taking its time to figure itself out that's important i'm not sure we have that now but that's not my problem <laughs> well no but i think i think kids man you can do what you like you know you got the computers you know how to edit stuff you know go ahead yeah i got yeah exactly that's your problem not mine uh but no i think you're on to something that there's there isn't that ability to expand and grow and have the audience be like there along with the ride. It's sort of like it, it's become an instant gratification culture to a certain degree. And if you don't come out of the gate with exactly like your just masterwork, like forget it. No one has time for it anymore, which yeah, is you need time. I mean, I, you know, yeah, it's great to be able to do something in your basement, put it up and see if it sticks to the wall. But I don't know. I, I kind of like the communal aspect of these things, I agree. the geographic. And maybe the geographic is moving somewhere on the web where little kind of clans of people meet to exchange their things. Maybe it's moving like that. I don't know. You know, it's just, you know, people will always make music. And for me, even though there's sea changes in style, sea changes in the way instruments are utilized, how people make music, really the concerns of a song are the same. I love you. You don't love me. I hope right. you love me. <laughs> you know, right. I, who, who am I? Let's party. I mean, that's that's the basic building blocks of any songs, trying to understand these emotions inside. And then you just use whatever instruments at hand. I, I, I do love one piece of Ramones trivia that I love is that their first positive song where they wanted to do something is now I want to sniff some glue. <laughs> Everything else, so, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Okay. Yeah, we get it. Yep, we get it. Yeah. Uh, so, and you hit on some important points with community as well, because I think community is all the more important, and it's both easier and harder. And it's harder because of all the noise, right? So right now, yes. like folks such as yourself have always been like important kind of uh, guides along the way to show you stuff that maybe you don't know. Nuggets is the perfect example. Nuggets is, as a former record store guy myself, way oh, before gosh. I played music, way before there was such a thing as podcasting, when I dug into the Nuggets comp, I was like, oh, wow, this is all pretty interesting. Even if like I don't love it, it's still interesting. But I've never heard of any of these bands, like not one of them. But it's good. And like, oh, and that kind of blew my mind because I was like, what, 17 or something, right? And I was, I was like, oh, so a band can be really great, but no one ever really knows unless somebody takes the time, effort, and energy to like show it to people. Oh, interesting. And you, and you have to dig it out. I mean, I have to say with, with, with Nuggets, I mean, I was lucky. I was first out of the gate. I had the pick of the litter. Uh, I, was, I had a record company, and I was kind of full of myself at the time, so I kept pushing them to say, I don't like that cover. Yeah, let's right. do two albums. You know, I was like, yeah. oh, yeah. 
And Jack Holzman, Lord love him, he just went along with me as much as because he knew that I was on to something, even if I hadn't figured it out. No, you're ro roboting out a little bit, Lenny. Oh, this this is a. Uh... There's it's no the internet, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to you, and I'm in my basement. What are you talking? I know it's about? a it's a miracle, and I'm bitching about that. Like, oh, I can't hear that. I didn't oh, hear yeah, that. Yeah, what can I tell you? You know, I mean, we're, you know, we're all uh, prisoners of uh, cyber technology. Um, but you know, I just discovered this series of records called Brown Acid. I don't know if you've heard of them, but it's like weird '70s proto metal groups. You know, mostly from the Midwest. Yeah. You know, drunk on you know, Black Sabbath and you know, Deep Purple and stuff. And I never thought of this as a genre. Now it's a bin in a record store and great records are being discovered. But uh, I mean, but, you know, I go to 45 shows. OK, I un understand I have a problem, you know, because <laughs> but I, you know, when I, <laughs> I, go I would there, call it a solution, but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> are you part of the problem or part of the solution? But, you know, I walk into this place. It's in Allentown, New Jersey. It's uh, twice a year. And the place is filled with maybe half a million 45s. And I walk around and I think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty savvy. Man, I haven't heard of 90% of them. And right. so sometimes a guy will come up and say, or a girl, and say, hey, dig this, or I'll be rooting around and I'll be on some weird, you know, obsessional tangent uh, looking for, I don't know, Jamaican gospel records. Right. And uh, all of a sudden you realize it's all out there. To People, you know, you talked about the noise. Well, a lot of records are put out, a lot of music is put out all the time, and you have to find them. And sometimes you have a good guide and sometimes, you know, they get lost forever. The phrase I like to invoke is a uh, coined by Jello Biafra is become the media. You know, and, and mm -hmm. I think it's, it's all the more important. And, you know, not to uh, not to get over. I try to do that in this show because I don't just have like the big names like Lenny Kay. I also have people that are like, yeah, you don't know who this is, but they're fantastic <laughs> and you should probably check it out. Uh, thank you. Anyway, that's that's about me, and that's about what I do, which is very important to mention on this show. But yeah, I think it's important for people to kind of take that on themselves, and like when they find something that they really love, it's like, hey, tell someone, because it's maybe the well, only way people will find out about it now. That was my brief from you know to to make sure that some of my favorite records kept on living on Nuggets, right? Um, you know, and. And still, you know, I, I try to find those. And uh, I got a little show on Sirius uh, on the Underground Garage, you know, where I try to show off some of these records and or turn my friends on to them or whatever. But, you know, it's 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 great because no matter how deep you go in music, in any genre, and I've had fun with, you know, lots of genres in my time, you know, crooners of the 1930s and and romantic piano music. I'm a big yeah. Chopin fan and bebop. And, you know, if I can find the key to get into the music and hear it, I that's that's what I'm looking for. And I and that's you know, I've been very privileged to spend my life within music, waking up in the day and say, what wacky thing am I going to make a part of my musical existence today? Well, and that's, Maybe it'll be me. <laughs> right. Well, and and you make an adventure, and you make the journey, the destination yeah, to a certain degree. Absolutely. And, and I think that that's the journey is what it's about. Yeah. When you get there, it's over. 
like I, again, I remember myself as a younger man, like starting to work at a record store at 17. I was I was convinced you could not tell me otherwise that all country was terrible. And because I had only heard like the worst of whatever was popular at the time. And then someone's like, oh, really? You don't like Hank Williams? And I was like, yeah. George Jones. I, and then like I was like, what? What? And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, Johnny Cash. OK, I guess. And then like I heard like all these records. I'm like, oh, my God, there's so much great country music. I, I, I didn't have any idea. I didn't know. Because I didn't hear it. And, and as an aspiring pedal steel player for 40 years, I love country music I, I, and respect it because it ain't as easy as it looks. Yes. I completely None agreed. of them are. And, you know, which doesn't mean that there isn't some stuff that's ear cancer that, that's out there that's on the airwaves. And no, don't get me wrong. but In like... every genre, <laughs> there's 85% of it that's generic. Yeah. And there's 15% of it, which is a great record. I know a lot of times people will come up to me at these record fit. I have a great garage rock record here. Yeah. And I listen to it and I think, yeah, it's a great garage rock record. Yeah. But the records on Nuggets are great records. That's why I know that compilation has lived. It's yes. it's not just, you know, here's around, here's the fuzz tone and here's the yowling lead singer and the farfisa. No, this is an incredible, great record. And if you go into any genre, and have a guide or your own instincts to find those 25 or 50 great, great records, you'll, have, you know, you'll, you'll be there. You'll, you'll, and and you'll have I a good time. You'll have a good time yeah. on the journey, too, because sometimes you'll be like, wow, like this isn't amazing, but boy, is it interesting. That can happen, too, and that's cool. You know, that's yeah. And then you'll find stuff that, like, I thought this was going to be terrible and it's amazing. Like, you know, yeah. great. Or it grows on you. Like the, <laughs> I don't want to like that record. No, anything but that. Katy Perry, right. Roar is a great record. I'm sorry, I resisted her for so long, and all of a sudden, I it's on the radio, and I'm my arm is out the window of the car, going, Woo! <laughs> I thought, yeah, wow, well, what the hell? Uh, so. Well, and that's so that's a good so that's actually a good something that so I I find it interesting that um with your. With your various books and stuff, like have have you found that some of your favorites have been like kind of slow burners in that way? Well, yeah. I mean, it took me a long time to understand Bing Crosby. You know, I, <laughs> Bing, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. I I got I got hooked on this guy Russ Colombo. I heard his story. Um, he was shot in a dueling pistol accident. He was supposed to marry Carol Lombard. This is the turn of the '30s, and then when he died. Uh, because it was such a shock. He was 26 and got killed by his best friend. They didn't tell his mother who was blind. So they wrote letters to her from quote all over the world for 10 years. Hi, hi mom. I'm in Europe. You know, but, oh, wow. I thought, that's so weird. Yeah. And of course, if the internet had been invented, I would have gone on the next day, found out everything I needed though, and probably forgot about it. But <laughs> since this was the mid nineties, I had to go to the library pull up the uh, Daily Mirror, New York Daily Mirror from September 1934 and read about his death. And then all of a sudden I got hooked into this uh, crooner thing. I spent eight years obsessively understanding Bing Crosby, Rudy Valley and Russ Colombo, their world and uh, and wrote a book on it. You call it madness. Yeah. Sensuous song of the croon. But, you know, every once in a while, Bebop was another thing for me like that. You know, I, oh, Charlie Parker, he's a genius. Well, 
I didn't I didn't know why, but you know, you just everyone tells you. You, you hear things, yeah. You hear, yeah, you know. You know and then one day I listened to uh, <laughs> this guy named Phil Shap on the Columbia radio station, a, a genius jazz um, disc jockey, and he plays some records by this guy, this pianist Dodo Marmorosa, mm-hmm. uh, who recorded with Charlie in the uh, late '40s out in Los Angeles, and he plays this piece of uh, music. And all of a sudden, I think, man, that is so hooky. You know, I mean, sometimes you need a way to open a door. And when yeah. I got found Dodo Marmorosa, a crazy guy who pushed a piano out a hotel room window just to see what it sounded like when it hit the ground. <laughs> Yeah, that's the kind of guys I like. Um, you know, all of a sudden, I understood Dizzy Gillespie and what Charlie Parker was doing and what a great transformative moment in jazz was the scene on West 52nd Street in the late 40s. Another place I would have liked to have been, except I wasn't born yet. Well, and and so, some of that's, you know, due to technology and stuff like that. I think back yeah. to the um, what the blues shouters. Right. And it was just like, oh, yeah, microphones weren't very good yet. Like they weren't really readily available. So in order to be a good blues man, you had to be able to project, you know, and then right. and that's the key to the crooners is that the microphone had just been invented. Yes. So all these singers who would have probably been Al Jolson, all of a sudden you could talk, you could sing softly as if you're singing into right. an ear and right. uh, you know, we, we all move with the technology. I mean, the way they make records now. It's pretty amazing, I have to say. I used to spend, you know, four hours trying to edit a, a, a piano part where the piano player did a fluff. Right. You know, the engineer would tell me, oh, just come back in three hours, we'll have it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and now it's like you want it backwards, forwards, sideways, yeah, you know, you upside want, yeah. down, <laughs> double, triple. It's replaced yeah. with a duck fart now. It's great. Whatever. Yeah, and but then... But then also that's just like that's the technology evolving, right? And and it's sort of like it doesn't mean people have to take advantage of that, like by any stretch yeah. of imagination, but it sure lowers the barrier of entry that you don't have to go to a forty eight track studio it's with like, a two It's like the three minute song. I mean, yeah. why is that there? Because seventy eights could only fit could... three minutes on a song. Simple as that. You <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Now things can stretch, you know, the LP, all of a sudden you could have like ten minute album cuts. Uh now I, you know, now you can remix and overdub every it's, it's a very interesting time in music. Uh, I think we're just starting to see what the music of the 21st century is going to sound like. I believe rock and roll is definitely a 20th century music. We've done pretty much everything within the form that can be said to be innovative. Now it's about interpretation in the same way there are incredible blues players now. But right. it's not going to be anything new the same, in the yeah. blues. Yeah, exactly. you know, It's not going to be new bebop players you know they'll they'll be doing the canon or you know p- you know piano players uh, who are doing tchaikovsky you know but i like progress i like when things move forward i like the soundtrack of today um i mean simple as that because it is today and for especially for young listeners you know maybe my book will be a way for them to go back in time but really they're part of the 21st century and uh, I'm I'm as curious as anybody to see what the 
top 100 or top million or whatever it is, is like in 20 years when it really is the 21st century. If we're still around. Of course. <laughs> well, that's, that's a general <laughs> we're caveat. We're not getting yeah. these things out of, you know, rubble. Like, well, I got this. So if I could just find it. Well, I mean, so, so one of my, yeah, one of my favorite bands going right now is this band, Australian band called Tropical Fuckstorm. And a uh, fantastic band. All their okay. records are insane sounding. Like they, they just, they do everything quote unquote wrong, but the songs are good. So it, it, it doesn't matter. But then I, you know, if you ask, you know, what the, the guy who's kind of in, ch- in charge of that kind of thing, he's like, well, what are we going to do? It's like, if we record like a rock band, it'll just sound like Led Zeppelin or something. And I was like, exactly. I guess that's a, you know, that's, that's, that's well, a good you point. Might you might know? sound, Led Zeppelin is really great. Yeah, I was going to say, there's worse things to sound like. <laughs> you want to sound like Led Zeppelin, man, you got to have Jimmy Page and, you know, Robert, yeah. you know, that's an incredible group. And, and they are, but, they, yeah. and they are badasses, but I get where they're coming from that, like, they're trying to sound, they're trying to do something different. And so part of that's like not doing, making traditional recording choices and recording what is ostensibly rock music, like an electronic band. Uh, almost right, and, and and it leads to some surprising results. And as a live band, they're cracking. It's great, and the records are still good and interesting. But it's it's kind of goes back to what you were saying about uh, rock music kind of being of the last century, except for as like a niche medium where there can be innovation, but it's not going to be innovative in the way that you know it's going to. You yeah. don't you don't I have mean, to worry I mean, about I the moments we, being I think added. We've to. explored it, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, swing music, or you know, it's been explored. And I think yeah. the human mind needs to find its new definitions. That's how we move forward as as an artistic uh, as an artistic species, really. And also, you mentioned something about the like you know the seventy eight and that kind of defining the single length and then like full length albums, longer cuts, et cetera, et cetera. Do you remember in the late nineties where people were exploring the CD format, where suddenly there was you know. 30 songs on a record. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I liked 11 songs, but when you had to put 18 songs plus a bonus track and a- plus a secret track, <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh my God. And, 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 and the, uh, and, and the budgets got less. So, yeah. you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. So suddenly, like, but I, I refer to that as, hey, this is great. When's it going to be over? <laughs> or how about why don't we put some of these on b-sides oh they don't yeah. exist anymore. oh yeah because there's no such thing exactly if you want to be heard it has to go <laughs> it has to go on the thing but then that kind of contracted again probably just as people's attention span sort of waned a little bit so you know that's uh i guess that's the process working to a certain degree uh but no i i think that going back to the book i oh. think i think that your your choices of things to focus on i think are really interesting uh, the, I, I, I liked how you split Los Angeles, 84, <laughs> Norway, 94. Norway. Crazy. Both of them. Yeah. D- is there, a, d- why did, so, so with that, it's not like it's spoiler alert. <laughs> all this is history. I can't spoil the book, but, but I'm tell me, tell me why okay. you, you, you People pair those together. It. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I love metal, but those are the two most extreme metal genres one could imagine. I mean, one devoted totally to bordello decadence and the other devoted to uh, <sighs> the black arts. <laughs> and both of them with incredibly wacky stories, yeah. people die and left. I mean, it just was kind of like kind of tabloid, but I also love metal. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, 
of bands that like to turn it up. I am in one of those people in the third row, flinging my hair around and and just you know, of course, then feeling the my ears ringing for the next week. Yeah, 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 paying for it. But yeah. but to me, it's it's like the hardest of rock, and I do like, and also great records. I mean, you you got to say that, no matter what you think of them, you know, the L.A. hair metal bands, incredible guitar players, really great pop records, hooks. And black metal, I got to say, listening to Freezing Moon by Mayhem. <laughs> and of course, the backstory of all of that is so insane. And I, I am drawn to the uh, the tabloid sometimes. Uh, you know, rock and roll is, you know, attracts some crazy people. And uh, yeah. those are two of the craziest scenes going. It, it's kind of like rock at its most decadent, which is kind of part of the, you know, mission statement of being a rock star not me of course because i'm just a rock musician oh of course but, <laughs> but you know when you buy into the myth of having you know yeah. five lamborghinis right. and you know babes are all over you you know with patty i have to say i do like to dance to white wedding at 3 30 in the morning gotta gotta admit that but on the other hand i also like to get up and do my work you know yeah. that's how you write a book you get up each day and you sit there and you try to bang out a page or two and you know, it's a process of climbing a mountain. And Patty certainly has taught me what a work ethic is about. Well, absolutely. I mean, what what an incredible work ethic there. And also, you know, what a great collaboration, too, because now this is maybe urban legend, but originally that was going to be a one-off, right? Like, oh, yeah. It was just going to be we like... We didn't sit there, let's have a band. No. Right. <laughs> we were going to do some weird, like, art happening, you know, because yeah. she wanted to shake up, uh, up a poetry reading. She came over to the record store where I worked, Village Oldies. She said, hmm, I heard you played a little guitar. I said, well, very little. And she <laughs> so I went over to her loft, and uh, she chanted her poems, and I kind of, you know, E to F, e to F and back and forth, and kind of watched how she breathed. And we did this performance, which was quite well received for the 100, 150 people there. But it wasn't like, wow, that was great. We'll do a band. No, we, we didn't even have another performance for another two and a half years. Right. Um, it wasn't. And we slowly grew from this weird trio to adding another guitar player. And finally, after about two years, we put the last piece of the puzzle, which was having a drummer, J.D. Dowry. And then we were a proper rock and roll band. But because we didn't aim for that, it had its own sense of self. We weren't like just another rock and roll band. And I'm always grateful to that. And of course, I'm grateful to the fact that, you know, at this point, over nearly 50 years later, we're still out there playing. And uh, and and she's the greatest. I mean, I've never seen her sing a false note in all the years that uh, I, I've been on stage left of her. She is an incredible, righteous, uh, performer who really tries to give a positive message wherever we play and these days we need more positive messages here 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 yeah. here i mean i think that she has and just from the beginning right she just had presence and it's, it's interesting that it's like oh she had presence and she obviously incredibly literate and uh, you know well well written lyrics but like the rest of it it's almost like it wouldn't be the traditional way you think of somebody starting up like a timeless rock and roll band <laughs> necessarily. I mean, you know, I wouldn't we, we, we're still weirdly on the fringe. I mean, I don't know anybody else who really sounds like us who, 
yeah. has the 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 expanse of us we can go from something really intimate and small and acoustic and heartfelt into like you know patty ripping the strings off her guitar and you know howling the micro you know howling the amplifier uh it's the kind of range we always wanted uh we've always re resisted uh definition uh uh, even on the on horses, uh, Patty talks about not wanting to be bound by gender or politics or anything. Right. That we really wanted the freedom to explore any music we can because we have so many musics within us. You know, we love free jazz and we love Motown hits and we love, you know, folk music of all stripes and yeah. you you name it. And we have a part of it within ourselves, and that's what we can draw on to make our music and to watch it go around the world, which is astonishing. And span generations, right? I mean, you... yeah. I mean, I look out, I have to say that the girls in the front row are the same age they were in 1978. Yeah. Only have to look at them a lot differently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ideally. But no, I mean, really, we, we have a very youthful audience because of what Patty represents, which is possibility and inspiration and hope and choosing your own path through life and making sure that it's yours and not what somebody tells you to do. That's what, you know, Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine yeah. is about. It's not, a, it's not a diss of Jesus, you know, hey, who, who could diss somebody who preached loving kindness? It's taking responsibility for yourself and understanding how to work that responsibility and make it, make it real. To take your responsibility as an artist seriously because it is very serious and hopefully you touch people's lives and give them a chance to become who they've always wanted to be. Mm. Yeah, no. And that's, you know, God, what a great mission, right? You know, what, what, what it's hard, yeah, I can't, it's hard to argue know, with that. I, I could have been in a metal band, you know, and been, you know, party harding or Jack, you know, but no, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm real. I feel really pleased and privileged to have met her, to be in the right place at the right time to kind of, begin a collaboration that is like a brother and sister over all these many years. Um, she's my closest friend and my confidant and, and so am I for her. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll just keep on keeping on. So when, when you're thinking about when these songs come together, I mean, she's, she's a, she's a woman of words, right? She's, she's a very, mm -hmm very uh very literate very creative person you know music first you know uh lyric second uh lyrics first music second like is there any kind of like rule book or anything i mean what what's how does it how no. does it come together no i mean we've never had a rule book uh sometimes there's lyrics first sometimes there's a piece of music first sometimes it grows out of some weird improvisation that we're doing on stage um we try not to have a way of doing things because like a definition, it stops you from doing things in other ways. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I mean, a lot of times Patty and I'll be walking around some weird part of the world and she'll start to get an idea and we'll develop it. Uh, Constantine's dream on our last album, Banga, you know, started with a painting yeah. that uh, she saw in a church in, uh, in Italy and we started imagining this whole scenario and it grew through St. Francis. And then I wrote a piece of music and then she 
said, well, this is a good here. And if you put this chord progression from another piece of music, maybe this could be good. And then, you know, we got these Italians to overdub on it. Right. You know, pretty soon we have, and she's also thinking about what she wants to say. And um, we had like an 11 minute piece of music. And when she was ready, she went in the studio, improvised two takes, mm. two takes of mm. which we used the second half of the first and the first half of the second bap that's it and uh you know had had a track that had we thought well let's write a song we never would have had it just develops over the years yeah sometimes i'll be sitting backstage unconsciously like playing something and she'll say what's that i say i, I don't know what am i doing there and she'll say well work on that and you know pretty soon we might have a song yeah. or we might not um we we just try to keep ourselves open to the winds of creativity which is you know it's a blessing because we're not you know we're not in the pop mute we are but we're not you know we're not like oh we got to have a hit single you know every time we try to have a hit single it's like what <laughs> nobody's gonna have it you know i got this thing called radio ethiopia it's definitely gonna be yeah, nice exactly <laughs> but it's great i mean like i heard that as a young man that's up there with like sister ray or something of like oh this is like changing the idea of like a a song can be like oh wow okay and i have to say uh i i had it uh i had my uh i i tunes on shuffle the other day Mm -hmm. and i'm just you know i'm i'm doing my taxes i'm not paying any attention all of a sudden radio ethiopia comes on i said god listen to this for decades yeah so i listened to it and it was interesting to hear the coherent thought that went through this improvisation that we did in the middle of a hurricane at the record plant in 1978, uh, no, 76. And uh, actually to follow the narrative thread of the music the, the, the narrative thread has latency, unfortunately. You still with me, Lenny? I'm here. Here okay. I am. Okay. <laughs> As we used to say in the early years of mixing by computer, when they invented SSLs, the engineer would come in, Shelly Akis, when I, I was mixing a Suzanne Vega's record, and he'd look at the board and say, where's the music? <laughs> okay. It's in there somewhere. We're going to get it We're out. Gonna get it out of there. Don't worry. We're going to get, get it out. Get those faders moving. Oh my god. <laughs> well, I, I mean, yeah. So you have different ways of putting things together, and because it's through the through the prism of this collaboration, like it comes out the way that it comes out, right? And 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 that that especially, yeah, I think it kind of. The rule book got figured out pretty quickly uh, early on and and almost like too soon where then like, oh, now they're oh, they're they're going crazy. They're doing this. It's cool. Why are you assigning rules to, you know, creativity? Well, you know, you can't because then, you know, you're you're it limits where you can go. I mean, uh, and, and we've always trusted our instincts. Sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes we, you know, in, in the course of making an album, you know, we try something and it, you know, stalls out. But sometimes you get something you didn't expect. And when your instincts are working, that's the exciting thing. When, I, you know, usually I, I always think of it when you kind of get to the end of the record and you're running out of time and you have like 8 million overdubs and this to mix and that to mix. 
and you're just you're so there you're just making choices okay yeah let's do this let's do this you know that's that's the moment speaking to you uh you know everyone soon you know uh, as a record reviewer i would oh yeah you know but really the record making process is not that controllable you know it's how, what you played that day that very day it's it, you know especially in in the world in you know, terms of improvisation it, it might be different two weeks later uh on horses uh birdland started out as a three minute oh yeah kind of poem you know and john john kale really wanted to overdub his beach boys moment there yeah <laughs> and we said no no we want to do it live you know so right. i said okay you want to do it live do it do it live but yeah. make sure you do it and we just kept doing it and he kissed him up nope, keep on keep on we got one around the six minute mark seven minute mark we thought that's eh, pretty good <laughs> and i've listened to it recently and in, in the world of outtakes and said yeah that was pretty good but he said if you want to do some live you make sure that this is for the ages and he kept pushing us and all of a sudden we hit the breakthrough on on uh, on horses the birdland just kind of flew like a bird right and and that that was the cut that now is part of an album which well keeps buying me beers around the world be <laughs> exactly which is not I love the world. oh it's changed my life ah. yeah. great let's have a beer <laughs> well and that's but then you know there there are other there are other moments like that as well like you know i, I actually the, so the first one i got from patty smith group was actually easter uh, which I think it's amazing, and then I kind of work backwards and then forwards. But it, it's amazing to me that like you could have a record that has that you know, obviously, you know, it, it did okay. You don't have to say it. You don't have to say it. <laughs> I was gonna say it has because the night. I understood. It, and yeah, there's another song the on there. Uh... Another song on there that we're not allowed to play these days. But yeah. if anybody would listen to the words, really, it's no diss. But. I'm not going. To it's a ripper too, which is which is which is a shame, but yeah. It's a punk rock song. It's it's a um contextless it could yeah. Anyway, um it's, it's rock and roll ripper, let's be honest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was different times, man. It was different times. Uh I did, understand. did you have did you have any but okay, so speaking to the rest of that record, I mean, do you have any idea that like the the because the night was gonna do what it did at the oh, time yeah. it, 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 it was supposed to be a hit single jimmy iovine yeah. stole it from bruce essentially i, I <laughs> saw that, it over yeah the uh yeah. documentary with him and uh was it dr dre right uh yeah. that I, I remember this story from from his perspective but i would be interested to see like what is on the inside for that well i mean you know he wanted a hit single simple yeah. as that we were trying to write one. Let me tell you, you know, I'd yeah. be, I be, I think in the book I have this uh, where I'm out in the studio, like, you know, unconsciously cycling these chords and he comes out and says, those are great. Keep going. And it turns out to be a ghost dance, you know, acoustic right. tribal, yeah, yeah. you know, bells. No, no way it's getting on top 40. And uh, he had worked with Bruce and Bruce was piling up the songs. You know, he had probably 40 or 50 songs. I've actually talked with little Steven about this because he had really worked hard on getting an arrangement together for Because the Night and was kind of shocked when when Jimmy brought it over to the adjoining studio because Bruce was in one room and we were in another. Right. And played it for us and, you know, gave Patty the tape. And of course, that chorus is about as irresistible as can be. Yeah. Um, but his demo was 
kind of it had a Latin move to it, you know. Yeah, you know, it which was different. Which yeah. was cool, but we just and and you know, yeah, it was a hit. What can I say? Uh, we're proud to play it. We're proud to play it with Bruce whenever he's uh, nearby, and uh, we're proud to have the people sing along. I mean, Patty's lyrics and the verses are so heartfelt, all about her her love for Fred and you know their apartness and and waiting for that telephone it's it's a true true song and uh no it's it's you know people say oh pop music you know i could write it you know no you uh, can't can you yeah it's really show me. hard <laughs> yeah yeah show you know, me. i mean i listen to radio and i hear some of these songs and i say why didn't i think of that yeah oh if you go whoa 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 and the crowd sings along you're yeah. gonna get it <laughs> But I, you know, that's not my thing. The worst is when you hear somebody like, I did think of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's on a record no one heard. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot of the hits out there that, that shoulda, coulda, and woulda. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, it was great to hear it on the radio. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's great to have it in our repertoire. But I'm also happy that all of our other songs, Beneath the Southern Cross or Dancing Barefoot or Kissing sure. in the River or any of our canon gets the same kind of applause and cheer and people loving it. And that's what a body of work is about. I don't think we can be pigeonholed. I don't think we can be pinned down. Uh, and, you know, we contain multitudes, which is <laughs> great. I, I mean, it's and the, the whole catalog, you know, it, it's there, there's there's something there if you're if you're again, if you're willing to put in put into the time to listen to there's it. A lot of strange you know, songs right? that, you know, kind of get overlooked. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, what, what can I say? They're out there and maybe in, you know, 50 years when uh, when someone is digging in uh, this old fashioned medium called a record instead of having the diode plugged directly into your head and, you know, get streaming <laughs> low. You know, they'll say, hmm, what is this? So lo and behold, and that's a very interesting song. And things come through in weird ways, too. Like I oh, yeah. I enjoyed that show, The Americans, and I was very pleased to hear Broken Flag in a uh, body dismemberment scene. That was uh, a oh, yeah. <laughs> and was... Broken Flag. I have to say uh, I'm a co-writer on that. And it's a beautiful, beautiful song. Uh, yeah. It, and it really actually seems more appropriate today than yeah. even then. I mean, it's just. My, you know, my heartache for the state of the world is 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 unparalleled at this point. I, you just think we would have learned as a human race, but <laughs> you, nope. You, one would hope, yeah, but you would you would in fact hope be wrong. springs eternal. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so that's I think that uh, I like how you cover ninety one in the book. This yeah. So I well, on this show. Because I have folks okay. odd from 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 this era, I, I call that, um, you know, the, the the brief moment that the freaks were allowed in uh, before they figured it out uh, in, in that decade, and they just kind of like, well, okay, they'll just people like this, fine, like get something that is weird like this, I guess. I don't know. We'll figure it That's out. That's the way it always is, though. They <laughs> right. let the freaks in, and then they figure out, I mean, how to package it, yeah. and by what time you package it you get that predictability that actually to me lays the groundwork for the next evolution. You know, it's, it's all of a sudden it becomes its own cliche, its own stereotype, then its own caricature. I mean, you know, being an old hippie myself traveling to San Francisco, I believed that love could change the world. I still do. But right. uh, I watched as the idea of hippie 
became kind of stereotyped to the fact that it didn't really bear any relation to the hippies I knew who were kind of spiritual and, yeah. you know, looking for transcendence and all that. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, punk, I mean, what's, what's more punk than the caricature of, you know, na, 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 na. you know, yeah, I, we all like that, but I, I, I think once things get figured out, then it's time to change the channel. And yeah. I, 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 it's funny, it's fun to go through the book and see how these radical shifts in style just all of a sudden happen. You know, grunge comes along and renders the hair metal bands completely obsolete within a matter of moments. It's like the, the meteor same, ending the dinosaurs, right? Yeah. <laughs> in the same way that the onset of rock and roll rendered an entire generation of pop music past tense or the Beatles came along and rendered that, you know, all of a sudden, all the pop artists from the early 60s couldn't get a break, whether you were the Everly Brothers or yeah. know, anybody, you know, all of a sudden, here, here's the new thing coming in. And, and you know, I mean, sometimes it's hard when you're on the opposite end of change. I've read a lot of interview with, uh, you know, people like Winger or, you know, hair metal <laughs> right, who yeah. like didn't know what the heck, you know, they all of a sudden they saw these bands from Seattle and they realized we're old hat, we're old fashioned. And, you know, sometimes you have to be more mobile than that. I never wanted to be, uh, you know, part of the punk rock of the 1970s. And, you know, and you have your, you know, uh, you know, your package tour. I, I like the fact that as a band, we've been able to escape any kind of classification that we occupy our own space. And that when the music changes, it really doesn't affect us because we're not that part. We weren't part of that music then. I don't look at myself in the seventies and think, what, what was I wearing? Because I'm still wearing the same thing, you know, so, t-shirt, so ragged jeans, you know, my hair's getting good in the back, whatever, you know? So it's like, uh, you know, you just gotta make sure that you have an escape route. Would you say Lenny that outside of society, that's where you want to be? Uh, I'd say, yeah, you know, <laughs> and, I, you know, it's funny in my 1966 uh, folk protest song under the name of Lynn Cromwell, uh, there's a line in it about while they're working on the inside, I'm having fun on the outside. Uh, oh, yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I'm enough outside to be able to look upon it and, and, and get some kind of perspective. Um, I think when you're too much in the inside, you, you, you're not going to get out. You know, I, you, you got to have room to move. And uh, so uh, I'm, glad, I'm proud to be an outsider. I, I think that so one of the things I liked about your, you know, Seattle 91 being in the moments is that it, it wasn't coming at it from any kind of cynical place at all or any kind of like it all came from from a uh, like from a perspective like curiosity rather than judgment necessarily. And I find that very unique. I'm not judgmental. I love all music. I mean, you know, yeah. really. And I love the people there. I mean, Courtney Love sent me a, a, a note after she read the Seattle chapter. And she said, you know, I, every time I read something like this, I just think, oh, God, here it comes. And <laughs> right. no, and I didn't. How that. many times? I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you right? know, it's yeah. like all of a sudden she realized I understood what her and Kurt and Seattle were about. I, I, I love all the people in there. I, I mourn some of them. I mourn the pot that, that what Kurt could have done or what, yeah. you know, 
what Andrew Wood would have done. I mean, my favorite song of discovery in, in the uh, in the Seattle chapter is In Your Heart, Not Your Hands by Malfunction. I mean, it's just a beautiful, you know, great, heartful song. Uh, Seattle's pretty dark in many ways, but music provided a release for for all this uh, negative energy that that surrounded the city at that time. And I, I'm a positive person. I like to look for the for the positive energy because that's why a scene happens. Yeah, you know, that's you, you know, you know, oh, this is a downer. I mean, I even find positive energy in the Norway scene because these people were so over, but they made an incredible edifice of music. I mean, mayhem, especially when Euronymous was alive, was right. <laughs> yeah. was an amazing like, you know, immersion into uh, the Malibourg, as uh, Dante would say. But um, I don't know. I just love music. I, I love celebrating it because to me, it's it's why you celebrate. You know, it's it's a celebratory thing, and it's got its own language. It it goes right deeply to your emotions. You listen to a piece of music, you may not even be paying attention to it, but suddenly you feel happy, sad. You know, it, it takes you along. It lives in the present tense, and that's something I realized about my book after I was done with it wasn't yeah. a conscious decision. It mostly takes place in the present tense. I, I, I actually, when somebody pointed it out to me, I thought, is that really true? And then I had read my book and I thought, wow, which is a good way of feeling the liveness of the scene. Because I believe when you experience music, you know, from, from note to note to note, or when you're at a concert, you're feeling it unfold. It's 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 a very present tense thing. It's it, it's it's not something you can stand back from and you know step outside when a piece of music unfolds. Whether you're playing it when I'm going from one note to another, or when you're listening to it and experiencing the full force of it coming off a stage, you're you're living in the present. And well, as the cliche goes. That's why it's a gift. <laughs> well, yeah, and and that's so. I think that's a through line through all your stuff, right? And again, like you, t you've talked about, you know, the various, you know, records with Patty, and like not worrying about being a nostalgic or anything along those lines. Just like doing, making cool stuff, and moving forward, and and yeah, and loving doing, right, writing songs, and like being a band, and like having, you know, having an enjoyable being time in doing a band, it. yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I mean, I mean, I played a lot of these songs many a time. Yeah. And yet the thrill of discovery, seeing how my perspective on them changes after playing them for a few decades, who they reveal within me, who they reveal within the audience, seeing the audience understand them within their own self. That's that's a gift. And uh, that that's that's the blessing of music and one that. I feel particularly lucky to have been chosen out of all the humans in the world to be a part of, to be right. part of that musical aspect of humankind. It's so mysterious. It's it touches you in so many strange ways. But really, in the end, it's 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 just it's one of the nice things about being a human. Yeah, I absolutely, absolutely agree. And and I think you know, there's there's something to be said, I think, for maintaining that kind of attitude. And 
I look at people that like you know I'm I'm the same ad age as I'm like oh you poor bastard like you just look like you've, you're <laughs> the crypt keeper or something right and then I I see people uh, that are you know. 10, 15 years older than me, I'm like, well, you still look exactly the same as you did like when you were 20. Like, that's crazy. And I think, I think a lot of that's mindset and, and just how oh, yeah. you look at the world, right? Like it just, absolutely. You... I always think what, what Kurt Cobain said in one of his last songs, he said, I wish I was like you easily amused. I think it's from all apologies. I was going to say, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I have to say I'm easily amused. You know, I read about, I'm reading a book and okay, I'm going to, here's an artist I never heard of. And then I start following the rabbit hole and yeah, and all of a sudden, you know, three hours later, I'm like, wow, where have I been? And, uh, and now I know, you know everything from... about falconry. Great. I didn't <laughs> amazing. I did not expect to go this oh, way. Oh, I haven't introduced you to my falcon. Have I? Speaking <laughs> yeah. of that, hi. Well, you like to look at that. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's so many great things. I mean, this basement is just filled with stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, no, great amplifiers awesome. yeah. and, you know, and, and just, you know, there's a drum set. I keep thinking I should learn to play drums, yeah. but I don't really. <laughs> it's never too late. It's not as easy as it looks. Let <laughs> it me tell you, you got to get all four limbs doing something else. L limb independence, just like with piano, limb independence is yeah. key. Oh, but yeah, I, I look at piano players and I think, man, I got it easy with a guitar. <laughs> And it ain't that easy. It's not. Sometimes. No, it isn't. It isn't. Uh, People think it is, but yeah. it really is. Okay, God, I'm only kidding you. Three chords. You can be a right now. No problem. Uh, so you want to be a rock and roll star? Okay. So <laughs> the tell. Can you tell me how you ended up uh, working with Suzanne Vega? I, I, I would be disingenuous not to mention that because that's a. Oh popular no, no. I, I I adore Suzanne. Uh, what a great great artist. Um, I was brought into her world by Nancy Jeffries, who uh, was an A&R person at A&M. And at the time, I was kind of obsessive about folk music. I was doing these box sets for uh, Electra, and they had a great supply of Appalachian folk music uh, from when they started, Gene Ritchie and uh, Peggy Seeger and just, you know, and I kind of never knew too much about it. So I started researching in my kind of inquisitive way and found that this music came over from England on the boats and took root in the Appalachians and how it changed and how it influenced uh, folk balladry and you know I actually learned all 11 verses of Barbara Allen because you know seemed like something I wanted to do Why not? anyway Why I was you? really <laughs> involved in this and then I get a call from Nancy saying that she's discovered uh, a folk artist named Suzanne Vega and her manager and um, eventually my co-producer at the time, because folk music was so anathema to major labels, uh, tried to kind of folk rock her up, you know, put like a boom chick, boom, boom chick. And uh, I listened and I went to see her and I thought, no, is this not folk rock at all? <clears throat> and I went backstage and I said, I kind of see you like uh, Nico, you know, with, you know, string quartet and flutes and she said i hate string quartets i hate flutes and okay because she liked the lou reed aspect of the velvets <clears throat> yeah which i didn't get anyway uh we started working together we got a, a bass player uh, uh and she kind of kind of did it herself uh you know she had a beautiful finger picking style and there was a lot of discussion in her community which was very protective of folk music that they didn't want her to quote sell out 
which right. of course means uh, being very rigidly confined to whatever, you know, and, and they were kind of in opposition to what was happening across in the East Village at CBGB. They were kind of protective of who they were. Um, but so when we did have drums, um, I made sure that they didn't go boom, chick, boom, boom, chick, but they were kind of like little percussive hooks. And uh, I always think that sometimes the culture calls for an artist. Uh, I could see that happening with yeah. Patty, for instance, you know, an idiosyncratic artist. But all of a sudden, the culture asks for that type of person to seize the reins. And Suzanne came out in a time which was very, very larger than life. You know, Cindy, La very, these characters, really cool. You know, Dee Snyder with Twisted Sister, very MTV and glitzy and everything. And here's Suzanne with just a guitar. And it's like she struck a nerve. Right. And so, um, you know, we made the record and it was a moderate success. And then we made another record where she had actually gathered a band together and felt secure enough to allow the band to help sculpt her. And uh, we made Solitude Standing with the hit single Luca. And, uh, you know, now Suzanne is like just a great artist, has gone through many uh, incarnations and uh, musical styles and uh, just fine, fine, beautiful. And I really treasure the times that we spent together. Really a great, great artist. It, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that, like, kind of an artist being the right in the right, almost right place and right time, right? Like, not that you, I mean, you have to have talent to to be there, but it seems like that is such a huge part of like this long. The culture, the culture has a. It's like in these transformative moments, I spend a lot of time setting the scene. Yeah. What is happening to make this scene? What what is the culture calling for? Essentially, what what is the you know, the surrounding social um, circle figuring out about how to have a music represent itself. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of fascinating. The Detroit chapter, with it, which, which opens up with, uh, you know, the riots in Detroit and, and this incredible, you know, violence and ghettos burning. And, you know, the, of course, the music's going to reflect that in right. some way, shape or form. I think we're we're very much tied to the larger frame and picture of how these musics develop. Well, and it's it's interesting to me too that I mean, you could have done it in like six or seven moments or something, right? And that would have been fine. But I like that you included some of the like the lesser known era. They're lesser known from like you know the the type of nerds to listen to this show, and I think that that's uh, that's another example of the kind of the way you roll, right? That you're always being like, hey, have you checked out this thing? It's pretty cool. Well, you know, you get into any of it and it's it's, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, I, in the original proposal, I'd wanted to do a chapter on uh, the uh, mid early 80s uh, alt-rock scene uh, combining Athens, Georgia and Minneapolis. Uh, the Husker nice. and replacements. Oh, yeah. That would have been fun. Uh, I wanted to actually the closing chapter was supposed to be Manchester in 1996 when um, with the factory and Happy Mondays and the music turning yeah. very dance oriented. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, since the book was taking me really a lot longer <laughs> and it was getting really sick, I just thought, OK, this this is, you know, maybe, you know, next tour. I'll, I'll, I'll visit those places. But right now, I feel like I was able to tell a very complete story of 
the birth and rise and you know transcendence that is the music uh, that we cherish so much you're a you're someone that when i see if they've done uh, the liner notes that I see if you're on it, I'm like, oh, I got to read that. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm thinking just about, um, I mean, everything like, you know, the, the Zeppelin ones, the Blue Oyster Cult. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going I'm to take the time. I'm not going to skim these. I'm going to I'm going to read these. And I think a lot of that seems to come just from a very earnest love and understanding uh, of the music. Uh, but writing yeah. and playing music aren't the same skill sets. And you've now written no, a number of books. And, yeah. and actually, a lot of writers <laughs> who play music do it self-consciously. And a lot of yeah. musicians who write don't have the facility to write. I mean, you, the writing is information, but there's also an art to writing. And I grew up in a time when rock writing was supposed to reflect the music to be as artful as the music uh yeah. richard meltzer lester bangs yeah, sure. sandy perlman um you know all the great rock writers of who who i try to emulate uh but i do feel in a strange way it's like kind of my right and left half of the brain moving together <laughs> sure yeah, yeah i mean as a writer i'm very considered and you know and you know i, I know how but i also believe in every sentence there's rhythm and melody Mm. And in every guitar solo, there's a narrative arc. And the one thing I feel privileged is, is that as much as I can try to figure out what makes a piece of music work and try to describe it in words, as a musician, I'm completely illiterate. I don't read music. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't really, I, I, it kind of bypasses the logical side of my brain. Yeah, kind of hits like the limbic dance. system. Yeah, <laughs> I like to feel the music within me. I I am able to enter the music in a way that actually I find kind of surprising, uh, and I, I've been doing both of them now for over half a century. I think I published my first uh, piece of rock writing uh, in 1968, uh, and I've been a musician, uh, you know, since the mid 60s in in uh, New Jersey and quote, garage bands, unquote. So I've been doing them in parallel and they kind of like interact within my brain. I guess record production would be where they really meet, where, yes. <laughs> you know, you think about the music, but you know when the music's happening, when you rise from your seat and start, uh, you know, you know, shaking your uh, <laughs> right. tail feather. That That's how I know that it's happening. Because I've had a lot of ideas in the recording studio, you know, uh, let's try this or let's try this. And, you know, the speakers will let you know when when you don't you, know, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> this is what the song needs. Well, yeah, because there's, there's things that you like obsess on later on. Like, oh, this is going to be awesome. We got this thing. It's here. And totally. then you listen back to it and you're like, nope, that ain't I've it. I've been trying for years <laughs> to get bones to shake. I, I can we just try this for, you know, and then, yeah. uh, you know, after about 20 minutes, the group tells me I really need like, a sandwich. And then there's something like, Hey, let's just try this weird thing. And you're like, Oh, that made yeah. the song. And that is now the thing that everyone is going to think of. Or, you know, the guitar song. player suddenly makes a big error and opens up a, a error and opens up a whole new aspect of the song. Yep. Um, you know, you just got to be open and 
alive to possibility. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't place music or writing over each other. You know, I probably in some ways I'm taken less seriously as a writer because I'm a musician. Sometimes as a musician, I'm taken less seriously as a writer. But right. really, in the end, I like both of them. You know, when I'm on the road and it's very social and it's public performance and I have five people in the band telling me where they think the comma should go. <laughs> there's nothing I like better than to come home and sit in front of the Courtuiope and uh, just be one on one. Yeah. You know, it's quiet. And, and, you know, when I'm in the basement for too long, a couple of months, I really learn, yearn to have the excitement and the, and the, the energy of live playing. And uh, it's, it's a nice balance, I have to say. I feel, feel lucky that I can have both. How have you been doing with this, uh, you know, this crazy, unprecedented in modern times world of kind of uh, isolation and distance and madness. Well, I, I miss hanging out the local, even though it's, it seems to be opening up for yet again. Uh, it's just been about two years since uh, I, I, I did the finale in the book where uh, I'm in Seattle. We're getting ready to play the Paramount and all of a sudden it's canceled and I'm sitting at a bar yeah. and the owner, I said to the owner, well, I have my guitar and my pedal board. If you get me an amp, I'll do a show here. And that was it. And then I got on the plane the next day and came here. And, you know, we have gotten to play some. Uh, we did get to play Royal Albert Hall last fall, for, which was had been postponed from 2020. Uh, you know, we played hither and yon. But, you know, after, actually, after being on the road for all these years, I don't mind being home. I, I have a, a rich inner life. I have a lot of piles of stuff to clean up. I have records to sort. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I almost, <laughs> yeah, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Uh, <laughs> I got the albums okay. I can find something within a half an hour, but the singles are yeah. just like that, you know, it's not, not one next to each other that makes any sense. <laughs> right. So, but I mean, I have, a, I have, a, I, you know, I have a lot to, I, I like, and I have a sense of solitude. So, you know, it's okay. I, I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind being home. Uh, but I am looking forward to uh, going to Knoxville next week and yeah. going to uh, Tulsa and Chicago and Austin. And, you know, it's it's nice to, and hopefully we'll get to go to Europe some this summer. But, I, you know, I don't know if there's going to be a Europe. So we don't know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little apocalyptic out there. Let's, let's say. see. Uh, yeah, let's uh, check where we are on Tuesday, huh? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, if there is Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, I mean, again, you know, I, I, I have what I call my hobbies, you know, and my life is a hobby. So I know that, you know, when we finish our discussion, I'll go, uh, you know, work on the radio show and then maybe I'll uh, watch some of the Andy Warhol uh, Netflix thing or, you know, I'll, I don't know. You know, there's there's so many things to do in life. I just really need another 75 years to get to all of them. <laughs> yeah yeah it's a i'm working deal, on it deal yeah <laughs> just start to go to a gym you know I'm gonna... <laughs> <laughs> this is the year this is the, the record collection gets organized and you're hitting the gym those are the, the two things i gotta get gonna... <laughs> rid of some records my, my daughter says better get rid of them or i'm just gonna toss them i don't believe she will because oh. uh, you know they're yeah, too cool on. but yeah but anyway you know i mean yeah you know I have a song called uh, The Things You Leave Behind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that song. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, sooner or later, you're all going to find that you made it to the end of the line. It gets heavier every mountain you climb. It's the things you leave behind. So, yeah, I'm working yep. on it. No, it's, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like when, you know, family members, friends pass or whatever, it's like you uh-huh. got all this stuff to sift through. Stuff. Taking it literally. Yeah, stuff. And that said, (laughs) uh, in about uh, two Sundays from now, I will be at the 45 show in Allentown, walking around with some uh, cash in my pocket thinking, I really like this record. I'll just bring it home. Maybe I'll take one out of the thing and get rid of it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. what's what's one more? What's one more? eh? What's one more? (laughs) (laughs) Just one more. And then another. And then 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 one more after that. And one more after that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, So, oh, you know, I was going to ask you, there's no way this isn't going to shoehorned in, but the McCartney record, like the the, the song in the McCartney record, like, <laughs> you mean Allen Ginsberg's record that he put well, on? That, yeah, <laughs> me playing bass to Paul's drumming. Right, How like great. That's kind of like talking about you know uh, uh, Liverpool in the '60s and the, and the Beatles and whatnot. Like, what an incredible come around to like. However, it transpired, yeah. which I have no idea. I mean, what so what was just like? Well, it was kind of long distance. I mean, uh, we were in the studio, um, uh, me and. Uh, the guitarist David Mansfield and the guitarist Mark Reba. I was playing bass, yeah. and we did this. Alan, I was producing. Uh, uh, Danny Goldberg at Mercury had seen me do this with Alan at uh, Ballad of a Skeletons at Carnegie Hall, and and Alan was so great. I just really got to know him at the end of his life. Uh, of course, the beat writers, especially Jack Kerouac, whose hundredth birthday is this month. Um, just so influenced me. It was who I wanted to be when I was uh, yeah. yay big. And uh, so to get to know Alan on a creative basis was great. Danny Goldberg saw this performance and he said, you got to take Alan in the studio. And I thought, yeah. So we went in there and uh, did a like a track. And then uh, Alan did a couple takes. And then we edited his vocal together, which was so great. I don't know, Alan, think you could do that line better? Oh, yeah, sure. No problem. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> Then they sent the tape to Paul over in England and he played drums to my bass. And it was just about as sweet glasses on the uh, record as well. Um, you know, it's it's really nice when you get to, uh, you know, kind of touch fingers with, with those who have inspired you. And uh, it was just, you know, it was wonderful. You know, in the same way that when I'm watching uh, Pearl Jam uh, in Asbury Park last September, we were on earlier in the bill, and I'm there, and I've, I've met Eddie on occasion, and I'm standing by the side of the stage, whooping it up and doing the things, and he comes over to me and says, do you know how to play rockin' in a free world? I say, yeah, most of the chords anyway. He says, come on. <laughs> and I'm out there all of a sudden, you know, rockin' in the free yeah. world. <laughs> trading solos with Mike McCready. It was, oh, that's awesome. you know, well, it's like this, uh, it's this phrase that Patty and I have that we picked up somewhere in the seventies is the guardians of history are soon rewarded with history themselves. And I, I, I mm. feel that's true. You know, I've respected the music. I've respected my place within it. I've respected the incredible blessings it's given me and, uh, have a little history and pass it on. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, man, and I think it's a I think it's a beautiful book. I think it's an like I I get a lot of books 
sometimes I read them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I enjoy, I, enjoy I, I swear this pandemic has destroyed my ability to read. But, uh, you know, I, I earnestly and honestly enjoy it. It's only it. enhanced mine. That's good. I'm glad. It didn't. It enhanced my ability to watch movies. That's about, that's about all I can say about it. <laughs> it enhanced my ability to smoke pot. <laughs> oh, that was pretty good right there. So <laughs> I didn't really say. need any encouragement. <laughs> uh, you're already the grand champion, but now it's a championship level, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Who would that be? I guess, uh, what, Cheech and Chong? Would they they'd be the, the all-time champs? Snoop Dogg, I Snoop, think. Snoop, Snoop Dogg. yes, of the course. Rain, the reigning yeah. champion. Exactly. Like he, he's he's gets gets the golden blunt every year. I'm sure. <laughs> Snoopster <laughs> or Willie Nelson. Let's be honest. Willie, yeah. Willie, yeah. gotta say, yeah. Props to Willie. Yep, yep. Props to Willie. Uh, but no, I think it's a in all seriousness, having nothing with pot related humor. I think it's a great book, and um, I think people Thanks. should check it out. You know, people that listen to this show. It's like right down. It's right down the line for <laughs> for what what they would be interested in. So yeah, get that. Is there a specific place people should be getting it? Um, um, well, you know, I'm always in favor of the independent bookstore. Yeah. I mean, you can go on uh, Amazonia and uh, do it, and makes it easy. But uh, there's an, a bookstore in my town of Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. It's called Carol and Carol, C A R R O L L and Carol. And if you'd like a personally inscribed copy. I've arranged with them that uh, if you order it from them, and I'm sure you can figure out, call them up or do whatever it is you do. Um, I know their email address is very arcane, but because um, <laughs> you know, they're really book people, it's like, you know, yeah. it's what that Verizon gave them. So it's like kind of some letters and numbers you can never remember. It. They, they, but they Carol act like Carol, the internet's a fad or something, right? Where it's just yeah. like, oh, yeah, whatever. Who cares about that? <laughs> but uh, it's Carol and Carol in Stroudsburg, and I will personally inscribe it, and they will mail it back to you. So that's a Fantastic. good place to get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, that, that, that's a little, little extra on there. Ten transformative moments in rock and roll. Wait, let me show uh, the people what it looks like. We'll link it in the show notes too, so people can uh, who are lazy okay. and just want to push a thing. There it is. There you uh, go. It's uh, it's Fred Sonic Smith's Moserite guitar that Patty took from under her bed, and uh, we photographed. So uh, there it is. There it is. I just, I, just I never in time for you to put it I down. I would hold just, it in my hand. There you go. <laughs> it's a it's an awesome book, man. Like I mean, you, thank it, you so much. Like you've got a lot. You got a lot to be to be proud of over over the years. But again, as you mentioned, well, I, I worked really really hard on it. Uh, uh, you know, as as always, I didn't realize what a immersion it would be. But I I, I, I read it now and I look at it and I think, yeah, every sentence has its place and there's some funny ones that i've forgotten that when i read now i said whoa you're good baby yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> so nice nailed it <laughs> yeah. all right yeah that's a good one so, so lenny i want to thank you so much for coming on the show Conan, and thank you man i have had a blast here yeah anytime really man anytime i was super super excited i'll, I'll, I'll be pleased to be your electron Pre- wait on oh, now the internet uh-oh. It sounds like you're saying something awesome, and I just I can't understand. Yeah, it. I told you I was would be pleased to be your electron at time. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. I, I, I love that's it. Good, that's good. That, that, that was worth. That was worth the. Uh, that was worth the wait. That was worth the latency. It was definitely. <laughs> it was worth the latency. <laughs> yes. Uh, so last thing. This is the only can question I ever asked folks to come on the show, uh, okay. and you can choose to 
answer to however you like, but why do you okay. do what you do? Because I can't do anything else. I really love what I do. I, I, it's amazing. I think when somebody finds their calling, whatever it is, you know, you want to be a cook, you want to be a, a social worker, you want to be a, a builder, you, you know, there's so many ways in which we need people. But if you find something that is your calling, you will have a happy life. And uh, I, I, I never suspected I would be a musician. Um, I thought it would be kind of a fun hobby. And maybe when I got into real life, I you know, would look nostalgically at the days when I played guitar. But, you know, sometimes life gives you an entrance into who you've always hoped you'd be. I, I know when I play on stage, I realize I've been doing it for 50, more than 50 years. I know how to do it and I know how to communicate with it. And to understand that part of yourself, to realize it is, is, really, uh, is really special. And so that's, that's why I do it because uh, I, I, I've put in the time and I put in the energy and I've put in the hopes. I mean, when people ask me about nuggets, I always think, what is it really about? It's about yearning. It's about desire. And that's what those bands were. I was kind of a weird kid, you know, I wasn't that intellectual. I wasn't sports, but all of a sudden that guitar helped me find out who I am. And the fact that I can still discover who that person is that's amazing. <laughs> and so that's why I do it. So I can wake up each morning and think, man, I am amazed. Lenny, thank you so much, man. This has been badass. Thanks Conan, so much, I really enjoyed myself. Uh, you know, keep the face and the face will always keep you. Take care, brother. You too. Have a good one. Uh, there he goes. <sighs> Mr. Lenny K. What a cool guy, man. Uh, that was I thought that was excellent. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, again, so that book is fantastic. Uh, highly recommended. You should get it. We'll link it in the show notes. Um, recommended. Recommended by me, Conan Neutron. The guy that knows. Uh, so let's... Uh, I'm going to play a acoustic version of uh, What You Leave Behind, since he referenced that earlier, which is a uh, good tune by uh, tonight's guest, Mr. Lenny K. Um, sorry, The Things You Leave Behind. My bad. My bad. Uh, so here we go. Still here, gotta 
Good tune for sure. Uh, let's listen to uh, a little song called Ghost Dance. Maybe you've heard of it. Most high, food from the Father. 
Ghost Dance. Broken Flag.
Broken Flag, Patty Smith, Mr. Lenny K. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I can't think of that song without thinking of Dismemberment anymore, but, uh, you know, <laughs> in a good way. Uh, hey, that was fantastic, right? <sighs> what a cool guy. Is this thing on? What a cool guy, Lenny K. Uh, so, yeah, get that book. You know, get it on your, uh, you know, your bookshelf. Yeah. Get it on your your Kindle, <laughs> whatever it is that that people uh, do. Lightning striking the ten. Uh, lightning striking ten transformative moments in rock and roll. That's the name of the book. It's in the show notes. Go get it. It's good. Thanks for listening, everyone. The name of the show is. Kona Neutron's Protonic Reversal. Thank you very much for listening to it. The show airs Thursdays, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific. Radio Nope, RadioNope.com. Say yes to Nope. Also streaming on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook if I feel like it. You can find archives of this show. At ProtonicReversal.com or wherever you find your podcast. Always free, no ads, no sponsors, no kidding. If you like the show and you want to support it though, patreon.com slash protonic reversal. One dollar a month will achieve that goal. It's appreciated. I'm trying to be an economy here. Thanks to everyone for sharing the show around, uh, liking, subscribing, all that stuff. That's how people find out about it. So uh, thanks for thanks for doing that. That's uh, we talked about Lenny. Got to become the media. Thanks for listening. Some great stuff ahead. Stay safe out there. Can you hear me now? And take it easy. Out on Route 128, dark and lonely. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
Welcome to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl! It's the, it's the end of radio. The last announcer plays the last record. The last what? Leaves the transmitter. Circles the globe in search of a listener. Can you hear me now? If there's no one there to receive It's the end of radio As we come to the close of our broadcast day
You got about uh, probably about three minutes, I would say, and then we'll uh, go okay. on. Okay. Right? I'll just have a drink. There you go. Sounds like a solid plan with no possible drawbacks. <laughs> <laughs>